0: Let us pray. Draw us close, Holy Spirit, as the scriptures are read and the word is proclaimed. Let the word of faith be on our lips and in our hearts, and let all other words slip away. May there be one voice we hear today, the voice of truth and grace. Amen. So the first reading today is from 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. It's a very familiar bit of scripture. Now listen for God's word. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic, prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so much so that I can remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions. If I hand over all my my body so that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. So what is love? Well, love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, all and the greatest of these is love.
1: Thank you, Steve. I read those words four or five months ago at my daughter's wedding. We're going to try to recapture them from weddings. They've been taken hostage a little bit. I have nothing against bride and groom standing up there listening to them, but I think Paul had a different audience in mind. We'll look at that a little bit more seriously in a minute. Your second reading is, uh, the verses are right, but the chapter is actually chapter 6, so pay attention to the screen and not the bulletin. Hear now God's word as it's remembered in the Gospel of Luke. But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to anyone who begs from you. If anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, What credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. This is the word of the Lord. One of my favorite Charlie Brown strips, he and Lucy are at it again. He's pleading with her to to make a point, but she's standing there with her arms folded and a stern look. And he says, Lucy, you must be more loving. The world needs love. You have to let yourself be loved to make this world a better place. And she whirls around and smacks him to the ground and he looks up and she says, Blockhead, I do love the world. It's people I can't stand. (laughs) Indeed, loving in theory is easy. Loving in practice, well, that's another thing. Just ask Jesus, who... Lived a life of loving the unlovable, the haughty, the self-righteous. People that you and I might not even try to love. For Jesus, love wasn't a suggestion. It was a commandment. It, it was God's bottom line, loving God and neighbor. Everything we say or do should proceed from it and answer to love. Or else, we should drop it. God is a God of love. Having showered his love on his people, he has expectations of us in return. Now this carries over into Paul after he encounters Christ on the road to Damascus. Paul picked up the refrain. He echoes Jesus by calling love the greatest spiritual gift. Now in a minute, I'm going to tell you why he had to address that. But for now, let me just say that both Paul and Jesus would be horrified by what passes for love today. The games people play, the manipulative and self-centered things people do in the name of love to each other. Many people have all but lost the will to keep on loving. I ran into a church member, my previous church in a store. She was a little surprised to see me. I asked her how she was doing. If you don't want to know, don't ask people that question. She said, How am I doing? My body hurts. My husband doesn't pay attention to me. My kids call only when they want something. My my friends are too busy for me. Why don't you just leave me alone and not ask me questions? I said, fine. (laughs) You know, from what Paul had seen in his experience of churches, not just in Corinth, but all of them, Paul had discovered that even loving fellow Christians can be a test. He had blistered Corinth. For 12 chapters by now, uh, on different things, they're arrogance, they're arguing with each other, they're suing each other, they're bragging over spiritual gifts. And he's trying to sum it up. He's trying to find some way to capture the essence of what he hopes. And he just starts talking about love. If I have all these other things. Knowledge. Tongues, wisdom, maturity, everything, possessions, without love, it amounts to zip. And yet I love the way he he gets at them, the way he uses that point by invoking the image of a child. He said, when I was a child, thinking that perhaps they might overhear, are we acting like children? He'll get to that. When I was a child I spoke like a child, I thought like a child I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult I put to end childish ways translated real love is for grown-ups give up childish ways but didn't Jesus say that we are to be more childlike? Yes, childlike not childish Jesus meant being more Generous, more spontaneous, more receptive, more aware and appreciative of life's mysteries than adults sometimes are. But childish ways, how would we describe them? I want what I want when I want it and don't tell me why I can't have it. Do you know any adults like that? Kids can be selfish, defiant, hit a bully, you know, curse a sibling. They don't like what's going on, they can... Cry and scream until someone fixes it. You know any adults like that? Kids can be disrespectful. They can gossip behind each other's back. They can belittle some person's reputation in public. You know any adults like that? Maybe I should stop. We teach our children to be remorseful to say I'm sorry but they say I'm sorry just to try to limit the punishment to get you off their backs. You know any adults like that? You see there's a difference between being a child and behaving like one. We can be young only once but we can be immature all our lives. So Paul is urging give up childish ways. It's biblical code for spiritual growth. It's a call for us to act like spiritual adults. Why is he telling this to Corinth? Well, if the shoe fits. But giving up childish ways is more complicated than Paul makes it sound. Why? Because many people grow up to be adults only to invent new and better ways to be childish. They don't have the willpower to stop being childish. And Paul knew. Prior to Christ... Paul let so many motives drive his life. Pride, ambition, anger, jealousy. Once Jesus set him free, Paul began walking in love. He made it his mission in life to love others as Jesus had loved him. Why did he not just berate the Corinthians and call them out in paper? I'll tell you why. Because Paul remembered his own past and all the things he'd done to break God's heart And it softened him. It softens me how often I have failed. I'm not speaking as an expert in love. I'm more aware of my failings than of my successes. But what I am saying is that we must replace childish ways with new ways. We must grow into becoming something more substantial. In other words, we must become disciples. To let love drive our lives the same way it drove Jesus' until love becomes our second nature. Can you even imagine that in your life? Speaking of weddings, I should write a book, but this one touched me deeply. This burly, muscular lineman who played college football went on to serve in the Marines. Six foot four hulking man standing beside this five-foot-two petite bride, stood there reciting the marital vow, saying all the traditional words, sickness and in health. But then he added an unexpected line when he said, and I'll always be gentle to you. And at that point, I began to weep because I could almost hear them coming from Jesus. I'll always be gentle with you. That's exactly how he lived. That's how he loved. So Paul understood better than most the difference Christ had made in his life. And so he goes on. All these words, the bride and groom's like, patient, kind, never haughty, envious or rude, never boastful, never insists on its own way, vows they probably break six months after they say them you know it's it's noble but whenever i hear or read this poem i first think of jesus which is i think paul he's not speaking about romantic sentimental love love in the abstract he's referring to jesus So go home and write in your Bible, wherever Paul writes the word love, write Christ. Then this chapter will make sense. Christ was patient and kind. Christ was never haughty, envious, or rude. Christ was always rejoicing in the truth, not in the wrongdoing. And you can bet your life in eternity that Christ's love bears all things, endures all things, and hopes all things. That his love is anything but childish. It is tough. It is costly. It is everlasting. When Dylan Ruth walked into the African American church in Charleston and started shooting, many in the community there where we were expected total chaos, retaliation, riots. That wasn't what happened. That congregation and those people knew Christ and acted like it. Even showed up at the trial. Declaring that they had forgiven him. And they hung a banner on the front of the church. It read, wrong place, wrong church, wrong period. To those who follow Jesus Christ, they know how costly love is. Love isn't a four-letter word. Love is a way of life. What does this mean to us? This great ideal Paul is portraying. What does it mean to us? Everything and nothing. Everything, I say, because this is the way we should live. Nothing, sadly, because we seldom have ever loved that way. But Paul won't let us off the hook. Make it your aim to live and act like people in love. Take the path Jesus took, the way of sacrifice and mercy and service child walked out of church with her father this big sprawling new mega church campus with multiple buildings she looked and said daddy how will anybody know that this is a church and he said to her they'll know the same way they always have by the way we act and the way we live how will people know we are a church the same way they've always done By our love, how we act, how we react, how we walk, how we talk, by our Christ-like ways, not our childish ways. And I say to you on some days and in some places, that's exactly what the church of Jesus is today. A community of love. And God smiles. Sadly, on other days and in many places, that is not the church at all. And what we say and do makes God frown. In a world that worships money and power, I stand here to say that it is worth remembering that love is still the most powerful love of all, the sacrificial love that Jesus came to embody. This high school girl had found fault with the church. She was at that age where she saw very little good. She sat in church with her arms crossed, refusing to make friends. One day, Sunday, she came home from church to find her house in flames. Her parents stood there weeping as firemen tried to save the home, but they couldn't. They had nothing but the clothes they wore. A few days later, a few girls from the church youth group showed up at the door of the home where they were temporarily living, handed her an envelope filled with money, and said, We took up a collection. This is our money, not our parents. This is our way of saying that you are a part of our family, even if you've never felt like you belonged. Yes, true, Christ-like love is patient and kind, never irritable or resentful, and surely never insists on its own way. My friends, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus lived, yet the shadow of his life still casts a, a large spell, not just because of the great things he did or the gripping way he died, but how he loved. So you remember how Paul began his little poem? If. Isn't that a big little word? If. If I can speak with the tongues of angels and understand all knowledge and have mountain moving faith and can can be as wise as Solomon or preach as good as Billy Graham, if I can do all of that, if I can do great things for God, but have not love, I gain nothing. Because we started in the wrong place. Our actions weren't grounded in the right motives. My friends, that is a big little if that we must answer for ourselves. There is a Latin phrase, Sin qua non, that which, without which, nothing. For Christians, love is sin qua non, that which, without nothing. Paul knew, without it, we may wish to do great things for God, but we won't make any difference. If love doesn't motivate us, we shouldn't bother doing anything at all. If we have not loved the church as it is, that is not the church it should be. If if we have not loved the Christ we know, isn't the Christ we should know? And we end up, Paul says, just making noise like gongs and clanging cymbals, an orchestra of people tooting their own horns, but with no harmony. I don't know about you, but I don't want this church to be a noisy gong. I want from the first time people walk in this door to stop and think, oh my. See how they love each other. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word and for its many reminders.